you know, I don't remember the exact, I don't remember the exact, uh, the exact year it was, but my, I was out playing golf with my father and my grandfather. I'm not even sure where it was. I think we were somewhere, um, maybe central Arkansas, maybe hot springs. Or I, I can't even remember. All I, what I do remember is we were out on the course. It was a beautiful day, sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. And somewhere about in the middle of the day, it, it just, things started to kind of look weird. I just were looking around like, man, this is, this is odd. And it, as, as the minutes rolled along, it just started getting, getting darker. It was like somebody was covering up the, the sun a little bit. And we, you know, we looked up, there's no clouds. And it was later that we discovered that a partial eclipse was coming through the area. It was really, I think, the first time in my life that I had, you know, was out and could feel, feel the darkness, in a sense. It wasn't a total eclipse, but it was, it was enough that you could feel the darkness. You, have anybody experienced a partial eclipse? Yeah, you know, so you know what I'm talking about. Hey, just, just for your information, this year, October 14, you can, you can mark it down. A partial, almost an 80% eclipse is coming right through our area. For three hours and 11 minutes, it's going to get darker. You're going to, you know, Lord willing, with maybe the, hopefully there won't be clouds and we can make our little uh, eclipse lookers and Anyway, get those welding. I don't know if you're sure you're supposed to do that, but I, I would get those welding helmets and look up. It's pretty cool. Anyway, October 14, eclipse, eclipse. You know, there was another three-hour time of darkness that occurred during the, actually the last day of Jesus' life. But it wasn't caused by the moon passing between the sun and the earth. You know, Jesus... Jesus died during the Passover, which, which means that there was a full moon. Passover is always during, during the full moon, and eclipses only happen during the new moon. So it was, this was a supernatural event guided by, instigated by God himself. There's something unique and consequential and, yes, supernatural about the darkness at the crucifixion of Jesus. So what I want us to do, we're going to talk about darkness. We're going to look at the darkness. These three hours there at the cross. You know, this is a day, this is Palm Sunday. And leading up to Easter, there's a lot. We talk a lot about the cross and dying and he plunged me and blood. I mean, what? It's like, why are we talking about all of this stuff? I mean, for those who don't know Christ, maybe you're here today and you're, maybe you're still you're one of those seekers, and it's like, man, what's this talk of blood and remission, atonement? I mean, all these, all the, why did Jesus have to die on a cross and all of that? I just want to encourage you and really all of us, just, just kind of step back a second and just listen to the text, listen to the account of Christ, and, and see the depths of, like what we sang about, the depths of his love and what he's done for us. So let's look at these three hours of darkness. And I want us to turn to the account in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27, it begins, just, uh, it begins there in verse 45. If you're, 
using one of those black Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, you can turn there real quickly by going to page 834. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus. He was, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, his name used to be Levi. He was a tax collector. His life was radically transformed. Jesus said, follow me, and he leaves everything behind and follows Jesus for those three years. And now he's writing about his account of of Jesus in this, this last day of his life. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. Follow along as I read. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is an Aramaic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, well, this man, he's, Maybe they, they didn't quite understand what he was saying. He said, he's, he's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and, and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. In our passage, we first see a, a dark time, a dark time, and it was a time of judgment. You know, it's interesting to note that the, the birth of Jesus was ushered in, you remember, by a, a bright star shining in the sky. And then the angels appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone all about them. There were no shadows. The glory of the Lord just consumed. It was bright and glorious. And now here at the death of Jesus, the opposite occurs. The death of Jesus, the light would be set aside, it says, for three hours. And our passage says that, that darkness began at the sixth hour. Now in the, in the Jewish day, that would have been, that would have been at noon. Six o'clock would be the beginning of the day. So the darkness began at noon and it lasted until three o'clock. The crucifixion of Jesus actually began that morning around nine o'clock. So we're around nine o'clock. So Jesus had been hanging on the tree on that cross for about three hours, excruciating on the edge of death, having to push himself up on that on that nail that was driven through his feet in order to, to breathe and, and take in air and then collapse again and, and then push himself back up. Three hours. And then at noon, Jesus would, or the, the darkness began to, to cover the, all the, the land. Our passage says that yeah, this darkness, this nightness was all over the land, over the entirety of the land, which basically means it was over the, the entirety of the known world and most likely over the, the entire earth. So sometimes our, um, those who struggle with uh, the miraculous, those who, 
who have a, have a hard time with, with just kind of trusting what the Bible says about things, they'll try to explain the darkness in scientific terms or some natural phenomena, maybe a really dark clouds rolled in or maybe some volcano, distant volcano erupted and the ash cloud had, had come over Jesus there at that time. But these explanations, they, they just fall flat. The darkness covered all of the land, all of the earth. It was a supernatural darkness instigated by God himself. This three-hour darkness was a supernatural act of God. But why, why would this darkness come while Jesus hung on a cross? Why? Well, Matthew, if you, we, the passage, it doesn't, it doesn't give us an answer, but we see throughout the Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that darkness is, is often associated with God's judgment with God's judgment. Jesus himself describes hell as a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. John 3:19 and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Yet God's judgment it's not falling upon Jesus. It's falling upon the, the sin that has been laid upon his son. Jesus was bearing our sin. I want you to listen to these passages. 1 Peter 2.24, no, 2, he himself, speaking of Jesus, he himself bore our sins. He took upon himself our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed, or we have been healed. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, to bear them, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Then we can go all the way back into Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have esteemed him. We think think of him as stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Jesus bore our sins. You know, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, God established a, a, a way for the people's sins to be temporarily taken away. They would, they would offer a sacrifice. They would bring a, you know, a, 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 an animal, sometimes a, a pigeon, depending on um, how much a person, where they, where they were financially. It could be a pigeon. It could be a, a, a lamb. It um, could be a bull. And they would bring this animal there to the, to the temple to be sacrificed in their place. But before the, the animal was, was killed, the head of the household would put his hand on that, on that animal. And in a sense, it was, it was a symbol of that person's sin being taken off of themselves, and that animal would bear the weight of that sin. It would be transferred to that, to that animal. Then that animal would be killed and then consumed 
and that sin would be forgiven. It's, in a sense, that's what Jesus, it's like we've come to Jesus and we've, our, we've, we've put our, those who trust him, we place our hands on Jesus and our sin is, is transferred to him. He bears our sin. The curse of sin that infected our souls was, was transferred to Jesus. He became, in a sense, a curse for you and me. In fact, the scripture says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. On the cross, think about this. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself, the scripture says, the sins of many. Though he never sinned, God placed upon him our sin. Upon his shoulders would rest our sin, our shame, our guilt, our regret. He bore everything for every repentant sinner past, present, and future. Beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, our sin transferred to Jesus. Jesus' righteousness, his goodness, his perfection transferred to us. So in those three hours of darkness, God's judgment would come against sin. In those three hours of darkness, the wrath of God would be, would be satisfied in Christ. You know, we sing of this truth in that song, um, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ. I live. As awful as the crucifixion of Jesus is, friends, it is one of the most freeing and liberating acts of love that we could ever experience. Think about it for a minute. The justice, the punishment, the judgment that we deserved became, um, I mean, it was absorbed and satisfied in the death of Jesus. So what does this mean? Why is this important? What does this mean for you and me? What difference does this make for you and me? Well, first, I think that if we, if we truly grasp, if we begin to just taste a bit of what Jesus has done for us, the, the immensity of what Jesus has done for us upon the cross, I think what it would do is make us a, 
an incredibly grateful people. Just think, think a minute about your own life. Just, just maybe even just this past week. Like on a scale from one to ten, where is that, where's the needle of gratitude? Is it, is it like over here? I mean, are you, do you, do you just, you go around just with a sense of, man, I am, I'm just grateful, I'm thankful. Or is it just kind of over, over here, just kind of maybe, maybe off, off the E, but it's just barely kind of twinkling along. You know, I looked up the synonyms for ungrateful, and here's what I found. Selfish, thankless, unthankful, careless, grumbling, ungracious, self-centered, John Muller. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, that, some of these describe me. I'm sitting there reading, I'm like, oh, man, I started feeling conviction. In my own life, I find that, you know, when I'm, when I'm in a season of thanklessness, when I'm consumed with selflessness or selfishness, carelessness, when I'm griping and grumbling at things, my life, my circumstances, things at home, relationships, whatever, there's a chasm that's somehow formed between me and the cross of Christ. I've, I'm in a sense, I've lost sight. I've, I've got these these shades on, these dark glasses, and I'm unable to see the beauty and majesty and the glory of the cross of Christ and what it means for me. And friend, if you find yourself like that, if you look over your life over the past week or month or maybe months and you go, man, I am not, I'm not a real grateful person. <laughs> I'm a little more consumed with me than I am with, with others. There's not a lot of grace. I have to quit watching the news because sometimes I'm just, you know, it just kind of gets you around. I'm like, man, I, I, that, it, just, it shows me, it exposes sometimes my own ungrateful heart. If you're there, if you find yourself there, there's, a, I think, a couple things we need to do first. So I was reading those definitions. I realized I, I need to repent. I need to turn need to recognize that my amnesia of the cross of Christ needs a course correction. Friends, how do you view the cross? And is it, is it pushing you with, to a, a heart of, of gratitude and awe and wonder and thankfulness? If, if it's not, then there's a good chance that you're in the way. You're, you've come between your life and the cross of Christ. And we need to repent. How can we neglect so great a salvation? Hebrews 2.3. And second, I think we just need to pray and ask God to stir our hearts afresh to the, to the glory and the wonder of the cross and the great exchange of our sin for Christ's righteousness. Maybe, maybe today would be a good day as we go through our week of prayer just to maybe take a, 
Take a seven-day challenge. Like join with me in the, just for seven days. Each day, simply ask God just one thing. God, would you stir my heart afresh and open my eyes to the beauty of the cross? Just pray that simple prayer. Get up in the morning and maybe grab that prayer guide. I'm going to pray for Kay today. And then you, then you start like, God, would you open my eyes afresh? Would you stir my heart anew to all that, that Christ has done for me there on the cross? Just pray that. Seven days. If you do it from now through Saturday, I guarantee what will happen is that Easter will feel a little different. When you begin to see the glory of the cross, it makes the resurrection even that much more glorious. Oh, God, would you stir in my heart? Oh, God, would you stir in our hearts as a church the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? And maybe lastly, spend some time with, with one of those passages or a couple of those passages that I that I that we just you just saw if you're not taking notes here you go grab you grab your pen I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you these scriptures one more time you ready you can write it down or you can go back and listen but write it down first Peter 2:24. first Peter 2:24. Hebrews 9 28 Galatians 3 13 or like we just read, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we who knew sin might become the righteousness of God. You know, if you just read that passage, so here, what you do, say that prayer, God, stir my heart. Would you stir my heart afresh? Open my eyes to see. And then read, just read that passage or read a couple of those passages, man, God will begin to bring it alive again in you. And we will become a more grateful people. And that will spill over into our own lives, into our homes, into our neighborhoods and community. So what does that three-hour darkness mean? It means that God's judgment was taken away from us. It was placed upon Jesus. We should be so grateful for the love, the sacrifice, the gracious gift of Jesus. Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. When the Father would turn his face away from his own Son so that we could become Sons of glory. But not only should we be grateful, I think we should also be free. I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm probably, I'm, this is just off the cuff. I, I remember seeing this on the news a couple of days ago. I think it's in Miami. There's the, a Sea World or something there. There's, a, there's an orca whale. He's been in captivity for 50 years. And they're going to, they're going to set him free. Now, what they're going to do, you can't just take a whale that's been at SeaWorld doing all the stuff. You can't just, like, turn him, in, turn him out into the ocean and, hey, go, you know, be free. 
it doesn't, yeah, it's not like free will. You can't do that. And so there's this, there's this plan. They've got a, like an, part of the ocean. They're going to like keep him in and, and like help him and teach him, walk with him in a sense, swim with him until he learns how to be what he's been created to be. And friends, when we come to, when the cross and the blood of Christ is applied to our, our lives, we become kind of like what's going to happen to this oracle. Well, we become free. Now, he doesn't just throw us off into the world and say, be free. Be the way you've been created to be. No. What, he, what, is, what does he do? He puts his Holy Spirit in us. Because he knows we can't do this on our own. We're going to mess it up. He empowers us. He enables us. He, we're, we're able to walk along with us, and he teaches us every day of our lives. And when we stumble, he lifts us back up. He says, okay, John, it's all right. Let me dust you off. We got this. Come on. It doesn't matter how bad things are. It doesn't matter the depth of our sin. It doesn't matter how confused we are about life and ourselves and our own identities or anything. It doesn't matter. He loves us unconditionally, and the cross has set us free. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Let us be free with endurance, the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He gives us the steps here to be free. Just lay aside, push it away. When we, we tend to cling to the sin, we go back to it. We, we, we like that. We like the darkness. And we have a tendency to go back there. And he's saying, hey, lay it aside. Put it, put it away. Throw it away. It's garbage. Throw it out. Run from it. Don't hold on to it. Oh, it's just a weight and sin. Get it, get it out of your life. Let me help you. He takes the trash out for us. He helps us in that. And then he says, run with endurance. Run. Endurance doesn't mean that we, we go out and we sprint. It's a, it's a daily. You get up, and sometimes it doesn't go well, right? You ever been there? It's like, man, this has not been good. Man, I have sinned today. I have struggled today. I have not been joyful. I, have, I don't even feel like I'm a follower of Christ. I, I'm just not there. I'm messed up. He says, run with endurance. That's all right. Get up. Come on, take Let's go. What I love about it, he's like, he, he, he puts his arm around us and he's, come on, I'm a, never seen that, um, this is also off the cuff, I don't even remember, it was, just, it was this race, I think it was at an Olympic, and the dude falls down, and he's, I mean, he's like, and then one of the racers stops and comes back and lifts the guy up and says, come on, we're going to, and they finish the race together. That's what Jesus does for us. He's already gone before us, and when we fall down, we're all bloody. He comes over there, and he lifts us up and says, hey, I got you. got you. Let's go. Get up and keep going. Endure. Endure. Press on. He says, look to Jesus. Don't look at these things. 
We want to look inside. We want to look at the problems like, like Peter did when he was walking on the water. We look at the problems around us in our world or the, the, the struggles that are going on in our own hearts and lives. And we're like, oh, I've got to figure this out. I want to be. No, and he's like, no, look to Jesus. Quit looking at this other things. Quit trying to find your identity in the things of this world or trying to find your identity within yourself. Find your identity in Jesus. There's freedom in that. Look to Jesus. He's the one who's, who's begun your faith, and he's the one that will complete it and finish it. In our passage, it shows us a dark time. Three-hour time of darkness in judgment. But praise God, it's not on us. Jesus took it on our behalf. But not only is it a dark time, our passage also shows, shows us a dark cry, a dark cry, a cry of abandonment. At approximately Three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cries out in that language, this Aramaic, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, lema sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting actually Psalm, almost verbatim, Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus asks God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned your face away from me? I want to pause here just a minute. Just touch on a little piece of theology, okay? It's important. When God forsook, when he abandoned the Son... When he turned away from the son, his son, Jesus, on the cross, Jesus did not in any sense cease to be God's son. Nor did he cease to exist as God or as a member of the Trinity, of the Godhead. It's just like when my, my children, my sons particularly, when they sinned, or even when they sinned against me. Now, our relationship was, was hurt, right? It, it, it caused some friction. It caused some divide in, in our relationship. But my sons were always my sons. They always have been, and they always will. No sin upon that they committed would change that, that fact. When Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, 1 John 2, 2, the fellowship and intimacy that he had with his heavenly father was broken for a moment. Now, today, people, sometimes they get caught up in this trying to understand this mystery of the separation between God and Jesus, the abandonment that Jesus experienced. How can Jesus still be fully God and at the same time be sin? How can that coexist? When answering this question, they will, these folks will try to make Jesus lesser than he is by removing him from the Godhead. Centuries and millennia, Christians have affirmed that Jesus is fully God and 
fully man, always has been. Trying to understand and explain this spiritual mystery outside of just trusting in the truth will only lead to a really a deconstruction of faith that that moves to either heresy or to no faith at all. Jesus' greatest pain, his greatest agony on the cross was not the nails driven into his hands or the loss of blood, the mutilation that he received by the scourging that would this, of a whip that had bone and metal and it would embed into his flesh and be ripped out. It's, it's awful and it's painful. It was not the most pain that he experienced. The, it wasn't the deepest agony. Nor was it that crown of thorns that were driven into his skull. No, it was being consumed by our sins and losing the intimacy of relationship that he had experienced since all of eternity. Just think, when I think about my own life, when my sin affects the, the intimacy of relationship with my wife, I mean, I, it's, I hate that. I mean, those of you who are married, you know, when sin enters in and you feel that, that ick, that distance, that, uh, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Am I the only one that ever, you know, it's like, ah, oh. and that's just, that's me, just one person, that's one relationship. And Jesus Christ bore all of that. He took all of that in those three hours. It's coming upon his shoulders. Just imagine carrying all the sin, the guilt, the shame, the regret of the world, and at the same time experiencing the abandonment of his heavenly father caused by that sin. Overwhelming. It's no wonder that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? But you know, Jesus, he knew, the, he knew the answer to that question. He's crying out from the cross, but he, he knows the answer. It's just that his heart was experiencing this dark cry of abandonment. Yet his abandonment meant our adoption. His desertion meant our deliverance, his, he was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Friend, that's the good news of the cross. Our sin, we willfully turned against God and went our way. We know what's best. And so we go our way and we just turn away from God. I don't need you. I don't want you. I don't want your ways. Your Bible, whatever it says on there, I don't like it. I'm going, I'm choosing my way. And yet God, out of incredible love, made a way for us to be restored. Our sin created a chasm we could not cross. Sometimes we try. We try to fill it up with other things, other things in, in this life that 
supposedly satisfies, but none of it does. We still feel the emptiness, the chasm, the brokenness inside, if we're honest. But Jesus goes to a cross, and he takes all of that, all of the sin, all of the shame, all the guilt, all the regret, and he bears it. He bears it for you. And he says, I love you. Come to me. Receive the forgiveness. Experience the freedom, the true freedom of of following me, belonging to me. And when we turn from our ways and we turn to him, the sin, our sin is is just lifted. It's taken away because he bore it. And he brings us back into relationship with God. Friend, if you haven't experienced that, I'd encourage you to do it today. There is no greater day to experience that transfer from death to life, from, from depression to deliverance than in Christ Jesus. It's easy, friends. It's, there's, no, there's no specific prayer you have to pray. There's no, there's no steps or hoops you have to go through. You just simply turn to Christ and you say, hey, I'm a sinner and I want you in my life. And he'll offer forgiveness. And he'll call you a son or daughter. He'll make you his now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it, we won't experience trials and difficulties in, in life. I can tell you that from my own experience. You can ask anybody who's walked with the Lord, but he gives us the power to endure and to make it all the way to the end, to know fullness of life, to have life abundantly today, tomorrow, and forever. You know, as followers of Christ, our sins have been forgiven. That once broken relationship with God has been restored, though the, the, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have become, as I said, children of God, members of his household. The penalty of sin has been fully paid, yet the power and the presence of sin is still around. We have to deal with that. It's still waging war against us. We feel its effects. Until Jesus returns, we still sin and feel the estrangement caused by sin. You'll still struggle in your marriages. You will still struggle in just in the, in the daily walk of life. Depression will come and knock on the door. Fears and anxieties will come and, and call out your name. Yet the cross of Christ, friends, it changes everything. How do we experience? How do we experience what that cross is supposed to, supposed to give us? How do we experience the fullness of what the cross has accomplished? Well, I think, again, I think we go back to what I shared while ago. Gratitude. Thank God often for the forgiveness that we've been given. Thank God often for calling us his sons and daughters. Thank God often that the cross has fully and finally paid the price of our sin. Thank God often that he has removed our sin as far as 
the east is from the west. Thank God often that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. Like Romans 8, 38 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers or things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank him. Thank him. I think this second is just a, a daily a daily walk or just walking daily in repentance and faith. Sometimes we think of repentance and faith as something that we, that we did when we came to Christ. It's that kind of that once and done. All right, now I'm good. I checked that box. But repentance and faith is something that we live out every day of our lives. It's that turning, constantly turning and going in a new direction. When, I, when, I, when I'm pulled in and I go back, kind of start leaning into the darkness, like, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go toward the light again. I'm going to run with endurance, that race set before me. Faith is the assurance of well, that reality of things hoped for and the conviction or the proof of things not seen. Faith is trusting God in his word. And when he, if he says it, I'm just going to believe it. So to walk daily in repentance and, and faith is, is to continually turn away from sin and to trust God anew each day. To walk in repentance doesn't mean that we, obviously, that we never sin again. It just means that when we do sin, we seek forgiveness from God and from those that we Sin against. I don't hold on to it. I run from it. Let me ask you this morning, are, you, are any of you here, are you holding on to some kind of sin? Are you holding on to unforgiveness? Is there somebody you need to go to and seek forgiveness? Men in your, in your marriages, are you waiting for your wife to just like make that first move? Like, uh, I'll do that sometimes. It just shows my own sinfulness and pride. I know that, man, I, my wife, she did that. And um, I'm going to wait for her to make that move. You know what I'm talking about, men? You know what I'm talking about? And I just, I kind of just, kinda, and I just, I hate the distance, but yet I'll just, I'll, I'll wallow in it, waiting on my wife to make the move. Rather than, you know what? I'm going to go to her. And it's like, because I'm never all, she's never just guilty herself. It's, I'm, I've participated in some way. So I make the move. Are you waiting on that family member to come to you or that friend or that neighbor that you've, you've hurt or maybe they've hurt you? Are you waiting on them? Forgiveness doesn't do that. God didn't wait on us to make the move. He sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Make the first move. Go toward them. Ask forgiveness. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They might say no. It's freeing. It's life-giving. For three hours, three hours, darkness covered the whole land as Jesus bore our sins. He experienced the darkness of judgment so that we might know the freedom of walking in the light of hope and joy. That's what Jesus did for us.
Jesus also experienced the darkness of abandonment so that we might know the freedom of walking in the light of forgiveness and restoration. What Jesus bore on the cross, it's to our glory today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, and forever. That's the power of the cross. That darkness, that three hours of darkness should lift our hearts to gratitude and praise to God for that incredible gift. A gift that we did not deserve, but a gift that he was willing out of love to lavishly give to us. What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, be thankful people, particularly as we get ready for Easter. Let's pray together. Father, it does seem a little, a little crazy to think about a cross and to glory in a cross. Yet that cross and that darkness that covered the land um, was for our, for our good. Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took the abandonment so that we wouldn't be abandoned. We wouldn't have to face judgment. We can walk in newness of life and experience all that, that it means to, to know, know God. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, you forsook him so that we might be forgiven. And then our passage says that Jesus, he cried out again. And in one of the other gospels, we know that Jesus said, it is finished. It is accomplished. He has finished it. It's done. He's accomplished what we could not do. He yielded up his spirit. He gave his life willingly for us. Oh, God, that you would make us grateful people, people of praise, people of awe and wonder at the cross and the glory and the beauty of your love for us. Oh God, that you would do that afresh in us this morning, in this hour, in this very moment. God, there's probably people right here hanging on, clinging to some kind of sin in their life. Oh God, that they would turn loose and run to Jesus. There's some that are holding on to unforgiveness. Oh, may this be the day that they forgive and know freedom. God, if there are some here, maybe some listening online that don't know, they don't have that relationship. Oh, God, would they say yes to Jesus today? We ask these things now in Jesus' name. The one who went to a cross on our behalf. We pray in his name, amen.